Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Sit back and enjoy this wonderful episode with Keith Birching, the former Birmingham City player. Your host is the Gabby Cabby. Brave, bold, stupid, or you did what you had to do because you were the archetypal central striker back in the day. You put your head where angels feared to tread. I think a little bit of all all of those things you mentioned, mate, really. Yeah. Um, I think uh, if you had long enough to think about what you did, um, you probably wouldn't do it. Yes. So for me, um, when the opportunity arose, you know, I thought I didn't really think about anything that thinking well I've got to try and seize on this opportunity and uh, we had good crosses of the ball of whether they be fullbacks or wide players so I got ample chance to um, launch myself from time to time and uh, and fortunately um, although it was a little bit chutting and go you know come out unscathed. What made you play in that kind of way is it something that you've seen in players was it something that was inherently in you what brought that out because I think you've just answered the question you just did what you had to do as a central striker back in those days of the 70s well I don't know I mean it's a difficult question really um for heading the ball particularly I mean um quite nicely I'm not a big one for having photographs up everywhere but um, you know I got a couple of um, sort of uh, diving headers for Birmingham which um, you know gave me a lot of uh, uh, pleasure really and but I I go back and I was about 13 or 14 at school Mm. and I'm heading a ball exactly the same way I'm sort of um, almost vertical and uh, if that's if that's the right word um, and you know you're only 12 or 13 so it was you know something perhaps my dad had put in me and he was a decent player and he taught me um, all the sort of structural things you know how to head it how to kick it and um, and perhaps it was left over from there but uh, it served me okay and um, you know it was uh, it was great to actually you know take it on when you're an adult and uh, actually actually do it sort of uh, later in life in uh, in the football league we are going to take a trip down memory lane keith because that's what the show is all about we revisit those halcyon days of the golden age of the 70s but you do remind me so much of uh, of andy gray in the way that that you put your head there and i remember a goal that you scored against Notts county on promotion day that we drawed 3-3 and it took us back to the promised land and and Andy was very much like that I do a regular podcast with Terry Curran and TC says the way Andy used to go it, it was just incredible watching that that guy ply his trade Paul it's, it's funny you mention him because um he became um, a very very good friend of mine um and even while I was at Birmingham you know I used to I used to go over to him quite a lot and uh 
we actually went on holiday together. You know, it's it's. I think it's just about all right to say that now. You yes, know, of course it is. If, you, if you'd have said it back in the day, I'd have been lynched. But um, you know, I remember playing for Ipswich, and um, we played Villa, and he got. I think he got a hat trick. They won five or six one, and uh, I thought to myself, wow, you know, this this fella, you know, he means it. And I think you you can nick stuff off other players as long as you can carry it out. But that after coming off the pitch, I'm thinking I've got to be a little bit more like him. And uh, in that particular area anyway, and the aggression and the way he attacked the ball, you know, was uh, something to behold. And I'm not saying I ever got to his level, but it gave me another idea to just make sure that when you went for it, you went for it properly. And uh, so, yeah, um, you do learn off other players. And that was probably one of the learning curves for me on that day. You touched upon you were friends with, with Andy. There's obviously always been a big rivalry between Birmingham City and Aston Villa. We're going to go into those Birmingham years a little bit later in the podcast. But I always used to say to my boys, your friends before the game and your friends after. And football is all about making friends. And I think it's sad that when you respect players of other teams, fans don't appreciate that or it doesn't sit right with them because I just feel there's too much there's too much hatred in the game and and I think that we all love the game of football and I think we should just be a bit more respectful of the game and players yeah well I mean um listen you know you don't make a, a great big uh, spectacle out of it I mean we we was fairly um we was fairly you know careful um when we were together yeah. i do remember though that particular game at villa park my first game at villa park and i kind of had not poo-pooed it but thought well you know midlands derby you know i hadn't really heard of a midlands derby yet. i hadn't been in birmingham that long <laughs> and uh, i remember going down to sort of see what the pitch was like and there was about 500 fans on on the pitch fighting i thought christ <laughs> i take this a little bit more seriously than i might have thought you know and all the other players were laughing when i came back into the dressing room saying see what's going on out there and of course you know it's a little bit similar when when um when we were playing you know there wasn't a great deal of football played i think he was injured that day he might have been sub and came on and created havoc for whatever length of time he come on for but um fortunately um I scored on that day, you know, Trevor whizzed the ball in and managed to get on the end of it. And um, you don't realise until afterwards, you know, that uh, what you've done and then you realise the the sort of the real rivalry between the two teams. And uh, I think I got a sort of a first hand impression of that after that game, you know, and uh, there was a lot of rivalry and uh, I was never going to take it lightly again. I don't think people outside the area quite understand the rivalry of Birmingham City and Aston Villa. We are going to wander back in time and go back to your earlier years in in a bit. But that rivalry, you've played it for, for both of the East Anglian teams in Norwich and, and Ipswich. How does it differ from the rivalry there in East Anglia? Well, you grew up um, in London was you an Arsenal fan? Because you started your career at Arsenal. I was, yeah. I was an Arsenal fan and um, funny funny things happened in football. You know, um, obviously, it was the days of uh, Charlie George and Radford and yeah. Ray Kennedy and Peter Storey and terrific players, you know. Um, and, um, you know, Charlie George, I actually ended up bumping into later in life. Um, but 
no, they were they were my my team, and um, I was fortunate to be fair. I was a real Arsenal fan because all my family was all my family was from that area. Yeah. My mum and dad were born that way, you know, almost in Avenal Road. They lived in Avenal Road, um, which was you know the road that was by Highbury, and so you know we always used to go there, and I couldn't believe we had to get there at sort of one o'clock for a three o'clock kickoff, you know, yeah. and uh, and sometimes even when. I'd played in London for Ipswich youth team, you know, we'd then go to Arsenal or Tottenham because it was just what we did, you know. And um, so, yeah, fond memories of Arsenal and it was just um, the greatest day of the week, you know, going there. And as I say, to actually think one day you might play there was, you know, um, something that I never, ever dreamt of, really. How did them derbies differ? Because the North London has always been a little bit of a needle, you know, the the uh, Norwich and, and Ipswich, a little bit of a distance between the two. And certainly Birmingham City, families are divided in this area. Sure. It's that, the same. Yeah. It's the same. I mean, I think, um, you know, the London, you know, certainly Tottenham and Arsenal, you know, was... Um, it was it was it was it was serious, um, as I'm sure Liverpool, yeah. Everton, Man United, yeah. Man City. But certainly, if I never have put Birmingham Villa up there yeah. after playing in a game, I definitely would. And uh, you know, and also then, you know, in later life, I was coaching, and uh, you know, we had a number of teams under Steve where we went to Villa Park, and uh, it was almost as chaotic as uh, when we were playing. You know, so um, no, it's right up there with with any derby I have to say um, and what tends to happen is because there's so much on it sometimes it's not the best football game yes. but I think the supporters and the players are only really concerned with the result Absolutely Now you started your life your professional life at Arsenal Was you not told by the doctor that you'd never play again you had um, a problem with your knee didn't you or your leg Yeah and bone? I mean I, at the time I wasn't sure whether it was real or I mean I had the knee problem but I wasn't sure if it was just a polite way of letting me go because Mm -hmm. I was a lot smaller in those days and when I was 12 or 13 you know there was young players like um, Glenn Roder, um, Laurie Cunningham you know these youngsters and my mother um, had passed me on some memorabilia um, and she'd found a, a trial game team sheet you know, when I was a 12 or 13 at London Coney and um, Liam Brady, O'Leary, Stapleton, you know, all sort of 12 or 13 year old were coming over from Ireland even in them days. So, you know, there was a good, there was a good ruck of players and uh, and obviously some went to different clubs and and had their careers and some got through like the Irish lads and, um, you know, the backbone of Arsenal's team. So it was, it was very, very competitive. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it was kind of from school to your county team. And then if you could push on, um, it would be the professional league. And so, you know, um, Arsenal will always have um, a special place uh, in my heart, um, as well as, you know, um, I was very friendly with Steve Bold when I played at Stoke and obviously he had a great career. Him and Lee Dixon were at Stoke when I was there yeah. and uh, they went on and, you know, done famously well. And I still speak to Steve on a regular basis now and, uh, you know, it's just nice that he done so well at a club that um, I had an awful lot of time for. 
and influenced by Alan Hudson as well, because I think Odiodi was the broker of that deal that took Steve Yeah, Burns quite well. <laughs> you know what he's like, and I'm sure all, I'm sure all the people that listen to your show um, who've heard Alan, um, you know, he was one of my heroes, really. Um, and fortunately, I got to play with him, and he became a bigger hero. Yeah. And this was kind of in the in the sort of uh, I don't know the evergreen, if you like, time of his career, and he was getting little niggles. But he was still such a fantastic player and such a fantastic influence. And he was just a great senior player that, if anything, might have disappeared in the current game. But um, these senior players that you always find in, in your own, in the teams that you transfer to, you know, they were everything. You know, they were like the psychologists, they were the sports scientists, they would pick you up when you were down, they'd do everything for you. I mean, there's different people earning their money at their, this particular job now, sort of doing those type of things. Whereas in our day, senior players done it for you. And yeah. um, and he was one of them. And um, obviously particularly fond of him as well. But you, you left Arsenal. You became quite a nemesis of Arsenal. Did you not go to Barnet? Was that your next port of call? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously... I can't remember that far back, but I'm sure yeah. I was disappointed. And, um, you know, I got a polite letter saying, you know, you've had a knee problem and unfortunately we couldn't take you on. And Bertie Mee was uh, the manager at the time. And uh, so, you know, I didn't have any problems anymore. And I, had to, I did have to rest, to be fair. Yeah. And uh, I was playing normal in football. I was 15. And um, the manager said, look, I want you to go to my friend's team. And it was Barnet. And, uh, you know, I had a bit of training there and sort of a, I had a run out in a couple of practice games. And the manager said, um, I'm going to play you in the first game. And two things happened, really. Two things happened after not thinking I was going to be a player and thinking I've got to stay on at school, which I did. Um, I managed to get a trick in 15 minutes for Barnett in the first game of the season. And a chap called Cyril Lee, who was Bobby Robson's first team coach, yeah. he was dropping his wife off um, at a friend of hers and he'd come to watch the game. And on the Sunday, I'd had the Chief Scout round and um, I went and had a week's trial with Ipswich before I was due to go into a, a college in London. And um, I decided to go with the football. Uh, and, and fortunately... You know, it worked out for me, you know, and uh, obviously it all really started then when um, I got, you know, my first on my first contract proper. And um, and that's where Ipswich came in. And uh, I'll always be thankful to uh, to Barnet and um, and more importantly, Cyril Lee being there, which gave me the opportunity. And Bobby Robson taking the chance with me. So, you know, had a bit of good fortune, but sometimes you have to earn it. And um so there you go, after having two or three, having a youth, having a sort of a, a young career of being at Arsenal. I then went to sort of, a, I went to QPR for a little while and I went to Watford and it didn't work out. And so I enjoyed football. You know, I was never going to stop playing football. I loved it. And I loved playing with all the older fellas as well, you know, and we had a, a laugh and I was still only a, a youngster. And um, and then all of a sudden the real stuff happened and uh that was a real wake-up call to realise that, uh, goodness me, these were really good players, you know. So, uh, And that's when Ipswich came on the scene and uh, and Bobby Robson too. I do want to indulge in, in Ipswich because I think they're one of the great football 
teams of the 70s. Bobby had such a great group of players and enhanced them and they come within a whisker of winning the championship. Um, sadly, not nowhere near the team today that what they were of yesteryear. But who was, no. your, who was your first hero growing up, Keith, as a kid? who did you? What players did you look up to? Well, I mean, as I say, um, Arsenal and Tottenham were my first two teams yeah. and I particularly remember, you know, Charlie George. Um, mm -hmm. We went to, I think it was 1970 or 71 where they beat Liverpool at Wembley yeah. and uh, he scored a, a wonderful goal. Yeah. I think as a kid, I think he was, he was one of the first ones. Um, I also, when I was at QPR, one of the chaps there gave me a couple of tickets to go and watch a game and uh, I had the pleasure to watch Rodney Marsh score a hat-trick for QPR and I thought I want to be Rodney Marsh now you know so I was still was about 13 or 14 um, and and also obviously when I went to Ipswich I just couldn't believe the standard you know I thought I was all right you know yeah. Um I went there and the standard from the youth team to the reserves to the first team to be fair they were all top of their own divisions yeah. Um but it was, you know, uh, heroes, I suppose. And I also loved, of course, Jimmy Greaves. Yeah. Um, because when Arsenal were away, we'd sometimes go to Tottenham. And, uh, you know, um, I got the opportunity to watch the likes of, you know, Jimmy Greaves, Dave Mackay, you know. So, uh, and then later Pat Jennings, of course, who was one of my heroes. And, um, you know, I was brought up in, uh, you know, great company with Tottenham and Arsenal. And very occasionally we'd go to West Ham. Because obviously, you know, I wanted to see Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters and Bobby Moore. So I was spoiled for the football that I saw, but uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, of course. What was your favourite football ground of the 70s? Um, oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Um, well, Ipswich was a fantastic playing surface, yeah. I've got to be honest. But I have to say, if I was really honest, the 70s, my first season at Birmingham, yeah. seeing it full... I mean, I don't know how many they got, but 40,000, I suppose. I don't know. We would but have been seeing, about them guys. Seeing, that, seeing that full every single every single week, mm. you know, and they didn't have any seats in, on that far side. You know, it was all just, they was all bunched in as, as tight as they could get. Um, you know, that was, that was fab. I really used to like playing at Birmingham. I loved it. I mean, Everton, and I suppose, I suppose because in that first season, we actually beat Liverpool. Um, and I think we beat Man United as well, uh, away at, at their ground. Um, I think Liverpool was uh, a particularly special a special ground as well, because with all the history and the sort of team they were at the time, it was special playing there and, uh, and obviously even better to score there and win. Ipswich Town, let's indulge at, mm. um, at Ipswich and, and your time there at Ipswich. The front players that you had amongst you were a young Alan Brazil and Eric Gates. Uh, Paul Mariner mm. come on the scene. You've got Trevor yeah. Weimark. I thought Trevor Weimark was an absolutely fantastic football mm. player, both in the air and, and with his feet, and had quite a languid style and, and a style of, yeah. of his own. And and also, of course, that current England centre forward at the time was David Johnson as well. Yes. You know, so yeah, you know there was there was five or six, even seven at some stage because yeah. um, Clive Woods could play wide, but he could also play through the middle. Yeah. And they were all terrific players. Um, and and obviously, Weimark, I really liked. You know, he was very very um, low key and didn't say too much. 
and he was a wonderful footballer. He was a wonderful footballer, and he was particularly good in the air, and which used to sometimes annoy him because he only ever got talked about of his aerial ability. He was actually a wonderful technician as well. You know, he got the ball down, and his touch was fantastic, and he could move. Um, as could David Johnson. You know, David Johnson was particularly quick and got over the top all the time. And, you know, and uh, they were super players. And again, as I said before, you know, they were only too willing to help you. As when David Johnson left and uh, Paul Mariner arrived, you know, there was a little bit of a leeway, but Mariner arrived and um, and he was exactly the same as the rest of them. They were only too play- pleased to help us younger players and um you know as i said at, at the beginning they were you know they were your sort of mentor really and they would they would look after you and they would try and keep you right right up to the point when i decided to take my chances in at birmingham um you know two or three of the senior players mcmills and mariner particularly sort of came and sort of said look you know you're gonna it's gonna be a great opportunity for you you know you're gonna go and play with trevor francis and uh, it's a big club. They get well supported. Um, stick your chest out and give it your best go, you know. And uh, better advice I couldn't have had. It. it was, it was. They were great, you know. That learning curve at Ipswich with the standard of play. I mean, the whole team were internationals, so you were playing with the very, very best. And um, you know, they let you know it if you weren't bang on it. So to get to their standard, you think it's impossible when you start, but slowly. You know, you get a little bit closer to them um, and uh, it enables you to at least be able to sort of hold your own in that division. And as a central striker or any forward, inside forward, Mm -hmm. you need that service. And and Ipswich had players all over the pitch that provided you with great service. It was almost like total football, wasn't it? They were a great football team and no one better than Kevin Beattie. What a player he was. Yeah, it was a shame for for Kevin because he was a he was another one who was great with the younger players and and brought them in and and encouraged them and he was just almost like a football freak. I think um, Robson had a soft spot for him, but he was yeah, I I don't agree with sort of saying someone natural because you get the idea of football and you really work hard and then someone calls you natural. That's better, yeah. you know, because you got to start somewhere. But he was quite incredible you know for about I think he was nearly as wide as he was tall but he was about 5'10 5'11 tops he could jump and spring you know over houses and he could kick it you know he could kick it from Ipswich to Norwich it was quite incredible what he was like he was just all muscle and strength um, without appearing to do a great deal of strength and conditioning work you know he was just built like it Um, and he he was fearless he didn't seem to have nerves he just absolutely enjoyed going and playing football. And, um, you know, his, his career was really cut short when he tried to get back, I think, from a, a cartilage operation. Yeah. I think he might have only been 23, 24. Yeah. Um, uh, but he'd been in the side since, I would imagine, 16, 17-year-old um, because he was, a, he was a, a regular, you know, player for Ipswich when I was there. He played every week with Alan Hunter. And um, arguably probably the most natural footballer I've ever seen. I would, you know, I've played with one or two good players and obviously Trevor fits in there as well as a striker. But Beattie, you know, um, quick, aggressive, great left foot and, uh, and played the game in a great way and 
for the for the years that I was with him, you know, um, thoroughly enjoyed his company and thoroughly enjoyed watching him play and then eventually playing with him. And as fast as, and not just over a short distance, but I think he only narrowly got beat by Malcolm McDonald in the Superstars, didn't he? But he had a little yeah. bit of a problem there, didn't he? I'll care for Well, <laughs> he, if I just say that, I don't think he wore a jock strap. <laughs> After about 60 yards, he had to re- he had to reconnect himself, and that's where he think he got he got done on the line. But he was yeah he was kind of I would suggest he might have been sort of ten eleven seconds over hundred yards. He was scary. I mean he couldn't run much further than hundred hundred and five yes. yards. He'd be blowing for fun, you know. But uh, up to hundred yards, which is more than enough on a football pitch, he was the quickest thing. I think I saw one. Of, I might have been Bob Latchford that might might have turned him on the halfway line once when I was watching, and he must have been thirty yards away from him. And, Somehow Beatty had fallen down and he got up and tore after him and got back to him by the edge of the box. You know, I thought, wow, you know, I've just seen something here with this player. And, um, yeah, he was a super player and it was a super team, to be absolutely honest. And your first goal, unbelievably, against the team that said you weren't going to make it or let you go. How did that feel? Because it was pretty much your first touch of the ball, wasn't it, for Ipswich, mm, when you, when you yeah, scored against well, Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, listen, if my career had finished when I played in the reserves and scored twice against them, I think we drew 2-2, two, two, yeah. I think I'd have been quite happy. Yes. But, you know, to, to then, ironies in football are quite quite amazing sometimes. And um, Bertie Mee, who had let me go, it was his farewell game. And um, I remember thinking the night before, well, I probably won't get on if they're winning, um, but at least I might get a little bit of a bonus, you know, um, but I thought to myself, well, the ideal situation would be to get on losing and end up winning. So um, Robson and uh, Robson sort of said that I was uh, going with him, which was a surprise. And so okay, and I, I asked my pal where where the where the first team were playing. He said Arsenal, and I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. You know, I don't think I slept that night. And uh, I remember with about I don't know 15 minutes to go, something like that. Robson's gone and got said to me, you know, go and get warmed up. And I absolutely was like a bag of nerves. And Colin Villejean wasn't playing. He had been injured, but he was sitting on the on the bench. And he said, go on, go and get warmed up. And all I was thinking was, well, who, the, who, who the bloody hell are they going to take off? You know, because they're all so good. And uh, as it turned out, David Johnson came off. And um, within 25 seconds, I think I'd gone down the wing, got fouled, went into the box. Trevor Weimark wrestled with a, one of their defenders. I just got in front of mine and I'd scored. And I think I'd been on 20 or 30 seconds, you know. So, uh, and better than that, that was the equaliser because we were one down. And uh, my friend, Pat Sharkey, scored sort of almost in injury time. So we'd won the game. And you sort of say, how did you feel? And you almost go numb, really. You know, it was just kind of one of these things that you don't ever think could happen. And even after the game, we don't think it's happened. And um, obviously, my family had grown up around uh, Arsenal. They, a lot of them had been commissioners who, you know, showed people to their seats. Yeah. So um, it was really, really exciting. And, and then I thought, well, if I never kick another football, I'll die happy man, you know. And uh, obviously, it went on from there and, and other things happened, even back at Highbury. But... Um, for that moment, I think it was as good as it probably got, you know, really. But then it got better when you travelled back to North London with Birmingham City and you scored arguably the greatest goal of your career at Highbury again, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, with all the with all the sort of 
paraphernalia where it was. And uh, my, my father actually was sitting next to Alan Hudson as it happened. And um, Trevor had done something quite brilliant around his, the edge of his own box and gone past two or three players and seen me. I begin, um, I make a run on the halfway line in behind some of their defenders. He hits a great ball and I've sent wide a little bit and I've had to confront one or two players and I've cut inside and, 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 and smash one with my left foot. Really, I, I mean, what can you say? You aim at the goal, but you don't expect it to go off the underside of the crossbar at the far post and go in, especially against Pat Jennings. And um, I've done well, really, to conceal my surprise. But uh, it was it was one of those moments that you never forget. And, um, you know, uh, you can play all your life and never have anything like that. And so, yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. And uh, it was it was a goal that, yeah, you're right, I'd treasure. And... Um, to score against Pat Jennings, I think, was the best thing of all because obviously, as a as a younger younger lad, you know, he'd been one of my heroes. You know, seeing him both at Arsenal and Tottenham. Serbian media. Who was your most difficult opponent in in those days, Keith? Well, early days, I remember coming on as coming on at Liverpool, funny enough, for Ipswich, mm. and um, there was a particular fearsome figure called Tommy Smith. <laughs> And um, I do remember the manager said, go on, go and make a difference. And I remember the ball coming up to me and I just put my arms out as normal and I've heard this great big clonk, like, you know, my elbow hitting someone's nose. I look round, I'm thinking, anybody but that Tommy Smith, because he looks mad. <laughs> and it was Tommy Smith. And like, his nose was split in half. And I thought, oh, no. I said, please. I was thinking to myself, please go off. Anyway, spitting through all the blood. He's looked at me. He's gone. I'm going to break your back. <laughs> and, the, and the referee was between me and Tommy Smith. And I said to I said to the ref, I said to the ref, I said he can't he can't say that it was an accident, ref. It might have been an accident, son, but I'd go and play on the wing. <laughs> that was that was a ref. And by the way, I did. And like you know, it was it was marvellous, really, because sometime later. You know, we got Liverpool the first game of the season for Birmingham. Yeah. And I think we've been playing 30 seconds. The ball came up to me. I was just about to get it under control, hopefully. And I ended up going up and up and up and up and up and came down in a great big heap. And there was this Tommy Smith's face looking over me, <laughs> saying to me, you didn't think I'd forget you, did you, son? <laughs> and I said, it doesn't look like it, does it? You know, and uh, pulled me up and away we go. I'm thinking this is going to be a long afternoon, you know. So, uh, yeah, he was the fearsome one. And similar when I was, again, at Ipswich, because you're only young, you know, and you're wiry and you haven't sort of even fully developed then. I went into a challenge with Gordon McQueen. He was playing for Leeds at the time. And again, I've gone in really, really hard. But I've just kind of gone up and up and up and come down in a big heap. And he said, uh, welcome to the First Division, son. <laughs> and, and, just, and just right off. And he was a very good friend of Steve Bruce's. And um, I met him on many a times. And I think every time I saw him, he said, tell me that story again. And uh, so we just ended up having a good laugh. And uh, yeah, a really good lad as well, you know. But they, you know, Gordon McQueen, the old Dave Watson, not the, new, not the younger one that I played with. Yes. You know, they were monsters, you know, and they were built like... They were built like trees, you know, and uh, and really forceful because obviously the game was a little bit different then. You could do what you wanted, um, and so yeah, they were the they were the kind of ones I remember. I remember getting felled by Terry Yorath, even though he was a midfield player. 
you know, it didn't matter where you played, you could kick anybody. And, uh, you know, I, I, so all these memories, are certainly, you know, when I was starting off, um, you then kind of get a little bit more experienced, understand how to sort of um, deal with it a bit more, and you get a bit stronger and tougher yourself. Yeah. Um, and it all settles down a little bit. But them early days were, yeah, were, were, were really, really great, great learning curve. And um, I couldn't have been at a better club at Ipswich to at least learn my trade with some superb players. But that phrase of Tommy Smith, do that again and break your back. He, he, oh, he used that quite way, a lot, he meant didn't it. he? Yeah. Oh, by the way, he meant it because at Birmingham, I thought I had. You know, he waited for two years, you know, so it's not that he holds a grudge, but he, did, he certainly didn't forget me, you know, and, uh, you know, people have had, I'm sure people would have had a month off, you know, the state of his state of his nose, but, you know, I'm sure he didn't miss a game him, you know, he was, he was built of iron, he was, and, uh, yeah, so he was, he was my first kind of, Wow, I think I've got to really toughen up here if I'm going to get bashed up. And uh, you kind of get the hang of it, and um, you begin to be able to look after yourself a little bit um, the more experience you get. Let's indulge um, at Birmingham City. You've moved from Ipswich. You've 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 gone to Birmingham. Mm. Uh, the players around you. We we had a good team didn't we I don't know why Birmingham have been so unsuccessful perhaps it's the fact that we've had so many good players and then just not moved it on and kicked it on and bought them players that could just make the difference to get from mid-table to the top six and then further but you must have loved your time there playing with the likes of over a period of time Archie Kevin Dillon Big Frank, Tony Evans, Joe Gallagher, um, Alan Kirbishley. The list is endless, Colin Todd. We, we've had some great, great players. and It must have been a great time to play at Birmingham. And in particular, under Jim Smith, my favourite Birmingham City manager, the Bald Eagle, was. Oh, well, I mean, listen, you know, all the stuff you say is absolutely true. Um, I kind of remember my time at Birmingham sort of having two teams. You know, the yes. first team I came to, there was still a lot of the older, should I say, older players. You know, uh, Gary Pendry was, was there. Obviously, Trevor was Trevor was there. Uh, Joe Gallagher, uh, Tony Want, uh, Terry Hibbert. You know, great lads, Gary Emanuel, you know. So these were all like the first group of players, Gary Jones, mm. um, Archie Styles, And then the younger ones were like Dylan was just in and around it at that stage. Um, but overall, Jimmy Calderwood was another one, you know. So we had great lads and full of experience. And then um, over a period of time, the second season Obviously, for me, after having a really good first season with Trevor, um, the second season, within two or three games, I'd broken my left leg. And then during the season, I think Trevor got injured. And then during that year, I think he might have gone off to uh, to Forest. Um, so the whole front line changed a little bit. And unfortunately, um, we got relegated. And sort of by that time, I'd felt a lonely figure because I got back for a few games and then broke the other leg and my ankle. So I think I might have played five or six games that season that they got relegated. And um, Jim Smith, you know, typical him, a great lad. And he said, look, I've got a friend of mine in South Africa. And um, I just come from one manager with Bobby Robson who, who enjoyed 
taking the lads away, you know, to wonderful places where you'd go and play a few games first, get a bit of pocket money and you'd stay on and, and have a few days wherever you were. And he was fantastic for doing that, Robson. And and then all of a sudden, when Jim Smith, you know, which might have been, he might have been the third third manager that season, um, when he came along, um, you know, he was exactly the same. And uh, he said, I've got a friend of mine in South Africa. Go and get yourself really fit through the through the summer period. He says because you've had almost a year off. And um, I went I went and met his friend, a chap called Frank Lord, uh, who managed a team out there in Cape Town. And you know what a, what an experience for uh, you know twenty one twenty two year old boy. You know, and so I stayed out there for three or four months, or three months I think it was, in in Cape Town, and uh, got my fitness back. Team was good, and um, it was just. A fantastic experience thanks to him you know and uh, it done me the world of good because when i came back you know we were just signing um archie and uh and colin todd i think frank came as well at almost at the same time and um alan kerbishley um i'd known through the england youth setup so we knew each other a little bit and he came and stayed at my house for a while and and then the other younger ones were pushing through like mark dennison Pat Vanderhaal, Dylan was more established. And, um, you know, we had a really, really good squad, um, you know, which was hopefully going to be enough to uh, get us back into the into the first division as it was then. Where did you stay in Cape Town? Because that is one of the most beautiful uh, cities on earth and that beach is really windy, it's really shaly. It really hurts you when you're walking across the beach there in Cape Town. <laughs> Oh no! I was well. We were pretty to begin with. We were pretty central. Yeah. And um, I was sort of down. I think it was a Hilton that I stayed at yeah. for a while, right in the middle of Cape Town, right downtown Cape Town. Yeah. Um, there was kind of an area called uh, Precinct Five, which was dangerous, you know, with all yes, the trouble and everything yeah. else. So you had to avoid that. Um, and then after a little while, there was a few English boys who'd gone over there and were playing over there sort of full time. And um, I ended up thinking, oh, I'm going to have a change. And, you know, he invited me to go and live with his family for a little while. And we were in a place, I think it, I think the place was called Rosemead. Yeah. And um, it was downtown. It was nice. And um, it was perfect. He had two young kids that, you know, were great and uh, would do the table mountain thing, as you say. That beach was sensational. Mm. The lads were great, and um, I just remember it was a great. It was a great platform for me to come back and um, get stuck into the second division as it was then. Before um, that time, I'm guessing you did have a tour to. I can't remember. Joe was telling me it was either Holland or Belgium, and Gary Jones and Kenny Burns was playing pool. Was you on that tour or not? Can it might. Have, that might. That probably was before me. Yeah, you'd be thankful. That probably it was. was just before me because, um, yeah, I think they, they're old school, you know. And uh, anyway, that well, listen, you know, it was old school. I think old school, right school, wrong school, whatever it was. But it was, you know. They were good lads, and uh, they all they all had one thing in common. When they had to train, they trained, yeah. and uh, there was no quarter given. And by the way, sometimes training was harder than the games, you know, because they all got stuck in, and uh, it was a great, again, a little bit different to where I'd come from, but it was another great learning curve, and uh, just so many good good lads. Um, 
you know I couldn't have I couldn't have picked a better club you know a second club to go to and I had a lot of fun and um, with a slightly different um, outlook on it all you know I'd, I'd sort of served my apprenticeship if you like at Ipswich mm. and now um, I was recognised as a senior player and then you have to try and live up to that which can sometimes be difficult so um, and sometimes it can be great and quite simple you know I used to I think it was probably the first season I really loved because you know it was a little bit awkward to start with I think we'd been beaten off Manchester United uh, and one or two other sides and then all of a sudden we got going and uh, Trevor got going and I think we scored we scored a lot of goals um, and I became very good friends with Trevor you know and he him and his wife um, looked after me extremely well and uh, yeah that first year was memorable for that and then obviously you know it was quite effective on the pitch as well and you know he had another terrific season um, which obviously you know um, was the I think was the start was the start of other clubs looking at him which which meant finally he went to Forest yeah and round round about that time there was an influx of, of foreign players after the 78 World Cup Ipswich, your old club, had brought in Arnold mm. Muren and Franz Tyson, Osvaldo Ardiles and Ricky Villa come, uh, went sure. to Tottenham. Alberto Tarantino arrived at Birmingham. What was it like playing with a World Cup winner and what was Alberto like? Oh, I really liked him. Yeah. I really liked him. Listen, I mean, as far as, as far as me trying to learn a different language, I think, you know, I'd be struggling, even in them. Well, certainly in them days, you know. And for him to come over and uh, and learn and learn English wasn't easy. While you're still playing football, you know, you could te- you could you could see he could play. And I remember we'd gone we'd gone pre-season training, and uh, you know, we'd played a couple of games, um, you know, just to get going. And I remember I think we might have been playing Plymouth, and he's come over to me as we're walking off at half time, and he's screaming he's going my fingers my fingers and I'm looking at his fingers and there's nothing wrong with them and then he pointed down to his boots so I said you mean your toes don't you and he says yes yes my toes so I thought he's going mad here you know his boots were a bit tight but you know it was he was great lad it was just a little bit unfortunate that the one season that you know we weren't having a good time um, was the season he was there I think he went back to River Plate and and won all sorts of Champions Leagues and everything else. But, um, you know, he wanted to play a little bit and we get caught with it from time to time or he'd roll it into people that weren't expecting it. So I think it was quite a difficult one for him, but he was a really, really good lad. And, um, you know, the lads enjoyed him as well. He was good fun and he and he got involved in everything. And uh, it just probably, as we'd all agree, you know, the whole season hadn't gone as well as we'd hoped. And, um, you know, he was he was probably disappointed, you know. We also must have had... Uh... Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
um, some of the greatest hairstyles of the late <laughs> 70s in those days with you, with Trevor. Um, Alberto Tarantino, he, he had an absolute perfect head of hair, didn't he? We had a uh, good-looking team, Keith. The girls loved you guys. <laughs> well, I think he might have had an influence. He might have, a, he might have had an influence on uh, me having a, a, a very, very silly perm, of course. Uh, when we had air in them days, and not, I don't think I could have one now. But um, oh, I got so you can imagine how much stick I got. But um, yeah, so uh, he had an influence, all right. Don't worry about that. And there was, as you say, there was lots of air in them days, and uh, yeah, and and it was all good fun. But uh, the lads could actually be quite brutal, you know, and uh, and they were, as you can imagine. Yeah. So yeah, we had a lot of fun with. Uh, so I can never really go over the top. You know, even when I was coaching, you know, with the modern day player, if they have a little bit of a funny haircut or funny colours, because, uh, you know, we were doing it long, long before then. And uh, so I have to hold my breath a little bit. But, uh, yeah, you know, you do stuff, don't you, when you're young without thinking about it. And uh, you you look back and you think, oh, my God. But, however, you know, it was all good fun and uh, certainly didn't stop us playing football. So, um, yeah, it was it was just part of the makeup, part of the fun that we all had and uh but you know we we took it more serious than life itself and i'm sure they do now but uh no it was uh it was there was times to have fun and there was times to work and not often did we get them confused we've got to talk about curbs and the who we've got to talk about frank at charlton and we've got to talk about what happened before chelsea with again frank <laughs> So let's go Curbs and the Who first. Curbs and the Who first. Okay, so um, we're playing Luton. Oh, well, no, we're playing Fulham the first game of the season. You know, it's red hot. And um, I'd heard through Jim Smith that Alan was in the house. Um, so that was normal. I mean, I was the only one who didn't have a key for that house. And uh, so anyway, I've got back from South Africa and, and Alan's there. And, um, you know, we got on great. Um, and the first first game of the season was coming up. We'd done the pre-season. Everything was good. And uh, he just casually said to me, he said, look, you know, um, we're going to Wembley tonight. Win, lose or draw, we're going to Wembley. And I said, OK. Uh, I said, who are we seeing tonight? He said, well, my brother's got a band. And I went, who? And he said, yeah, that's him. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, so I, I'll never forget this. And I don't know whether that was the cause of the problem, but at half time I would scored, I'm sure he'd scored and uh I was coming off and I think it was two might have been two and a half and I said, Oh my god, I said, you know, it's gonna be good tonight and uh, you know, all of a sudden the second half starts and I think we get beat three two and we hardly spoke a word, um, in the car going down to London. But we got there and we sort of said, Look, we can worry about the football tomorrow. Let's just try and enjoy tonight. And we went sort of backstage. And of course, you know, in those days, uh, all the cast out of Quadrophenia, you know, Ray Winston, Bill Daniels and all that, they'd all, you know, they'd all got in somehow. And, um, you know, I, I was watching The Who from behind the stand, from behind the stadium, you know, watching, looking back, you know, I was seeing all their backs. Yeah. But, like, you know, it was just one of those memorable nights that, before too long, your speeches really. It was just absolutely fantastic. And uh, I have to say, fortunately, that uh, the first game of the season, um, 
you know, it still panned out for us and we got up, you know, and I've actually enjoyed this season. In the program, they've kind of done a, a week by week or month by month journey of that season. And uh, it, it was just nice to revisit that year because it was up and down and, and touch and go very, very often. But um, we got there in the end. But of course, it's Birmingham, so you're going to do it the hardest way possible, aren't you? And uh, yeah, but uh, to go and see the Who was fantastic. And then they came to Birmingham a couple of times as well and uh, got to see him again. And uh, yeah, fantastic. It was uh, yeah, one of those moments in, in your life that uh, you don't forget too easily. No, and I didn't forget the result. It was actually 3 0 at half time. We were beating Fulham. And I think Gordon Davies scored a second half hat trick for Fulham and they beat us 4 3. Because we've always had a problem with Fulham. We, it started in 75 with John Mitchell. So we've That's always right. looked at That's Fulham. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but then um, Frank at Charlton, I remember you, you telling me you had a, a situation when you hit the underside of the bar and Frank was none too happy. <laughs> well, you know, um, it was it was a, a, a difficult, not a difficult time, but um, uh, there was like there was myself, um, Mark Bintoni Evans, Don Givens, Frank. So there was a number of players um, to choose from, yeah. and um, I think I remember, you know, it was a tough start, um, and I think probably uh, Frank was arriving, and um, you know, it was a, a toss up who was going to who was going to play with him and stuff like this. And I don't think I'd scored for a few games. Uh, anyway, I think we played away at Luton and um, I got a few, I got a hat trick. And then, so I get a chance to play with Frank and uh, I absolutely loved him as a bloke and loved him as a player. And we hit it off on and off the pitch. But I was saying that uh, one time we were playing down at Charlton. I think that was a midweek game. And, um, We'd gone one up. I think I'd, I'd scored, I think. And um, your memory goes, doesn't it? But uh, I'll never forget as we're coming off at half time, um, a bit of mud in me behind the ear. And I looked round and it was Frank. And I'd, I must have got through and hit the post or hit the crossbar. And he was telling me that I should have laid it to him. And I said, well, I was a little bit unlucky. I hit the crossbar. And he said, well, look, he says, you're getting plenty of goals. He said, I've lost a bit of confidence. And I looked at him and I said, you're Frank Worthington. What do you mean you've lost a bit of, lost a bit of confidence? Everyone loves you. And he just laughed, um, you know, and uh, it just proved to me as a younger player, you know, that if Frank Worthington lose a bit of confidence, anyone can lose a bit of confidence, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, mind you, that must have been the only time because he, he looked pretty confident to me most of the time I was with him, you know, over the next two or three years. And um, he was a, just a wonderful player and... That's why he caught me on the hop a little bit, you know, because I don't. I think most of the younger players really worshipped him, and uh, you know, even he said that he needed a goal to get himself, back, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so it just shows you in sport, you know, that everyone needs a hand from time to time, and you know, I never forgot that, and uh, you know, I used to love to run round and try and help him as best I could, because he could do his thing, and it kind of it sort of matched up quite nicely with what I did. So um, we had a, a good, a very, very good friendship on and off the pitch and just more laughter that any any human being really should have the right to have. And you had quite a load of laughs in the rum runner as well with Frank, didn't you? Yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. <laughs> um, he, um, he did enjoy, 
he did enjoy the occasional night out at the right times, <laughs> you know, most of the time. Um, but it does remind me it wasn't the rum run, although we were in there a fair bit. Um, he did he did sort of pop round once before, and Kerbishley and I had had any any food, and he told us that there was a, a restaurant opening in Solihull, and we'd been invited. And this was the night before we were playing Chelsea. And I thought, oh, this is only going to work. We'd never been out before a game, ever. And uh, I think he he had a young lady with him, I think, you know. And uh, so the four of us have gone up there, and we were back by sort of 8.30, to be absolutely honest. But we had a really nice time, and uh, it, was all, it was all great. Um, and we were a bit concerned if anyone had seen us or we'd hardly ever been out before a game. But we hadn't had a drink, and we just had some nice food. And our pal of was opening the restaurant. Um, and we went and beat Chelsea 5-1. Um, and it just proved to me that you didn't have to be out every night before a game. But if you wanted to go to the pitches or a little bite to eat, it might have been a way of relaxing a little bit before a game. And then if you didn't want to go out, you didn't have to go out. But it, it just gave you the option rather than, you know, sort of religiously staying in before games and panicking and listening to Tony Butler, you know, building the game up and up and up. Um, so it was just uh, something I always remember that uh, Frank came round. We had a great few hours and then went and really ripped Chelsea apart, um, which was a which was a great night for us all, yeah. I remember that game because I went there with me, uh, my younger brother and, uh, and my dad. We left a bit earlier because it looked as though it was going to get a bit moody. My brother was probably only about nine or ten at the time. Yeah. I remember walking yeah. through the front door and me, me, me dad would always moan about Birmingham City and my mum would say, well, were they bloody rubbish again tonight? Then Sid and he'd go, no, they were great. I think she nearly fell over. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only time he ever praised Birmingham in, in all my life like with me football and me dad. I think it was the only time he ever had a smile on his face. Well, you know, I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember who scored. I think Ainsco scored. I've um, I probably can't remember because I probably didn't but um, I remember the game went particularly well yeah. and uh, I do remember one game against Forest you know that European Cup team and that was midweek as well and and Frank scored a couple of goals yes. oh two of the best goals ever mm. and one was with his right yeah. foot and I remember walking back I'm saying I haven't seen that before he says I'll bring it out for special occasions and it was just he just said it like that, you know. And I thought, oh well, you know, of course he, of course you do. And uh, you know, he just wrapped wrap one round his foot from about twenty five yards past Shilton with his right foot. And I just said, wow. And he said, I oh, know. He said, I'll bring it out for special occasions as we're walking back. You know, I thought he ain't real this geezer, you know. And uh, and that's how he was, you know, on and off the pitch. He was just great, you know. No edge to him would help anybody. And. Uh, was just a wonderful person to be around and a great player. So uh, I've considered myself really fortunate at Birmingham because with Don Givens, um, with Don, uh, I love playing with him. Um, obviously Frank and Trevor, you know, as sort of even with the likes of Stevie Linux, you know, there was loads of great lads um, there and all competitive. And um, I think that just drove everybody on and on really, you know, so... Uh, yeah, happy times, but particularly with Frank, you know, um, you know, I was very, very fond of him and still am. SRB Media. You're listening to Keith Birchin on The Legends of the 70s with the Gabby Cabby. 
Did Frank ever tell you about the goal or, or rather talk you through the goal that he scored for Bolton Wanderers against Ipswich? Frank, no. Frank didn't, you know, Frank didn't talk too much um, about, you know, what he did or what he didn't do. Yeah. Um, he was ordinarily be the last one in training. Yeah. But quite a bit of the time, he'd be the last one out as well. You yeah. know, um, he liked to practice. Same as Colin Todd sometimes would sort of um, come and give me a real grilling, you know, and work. So, you know, some of the work I'd do with him, you know, where the ball's being smashed up to you and he's coming through you like an absolute tank, you know. Um, it was all it was all really trying to, you know, make sure you stay sharp and strong and uh, imp- improve. Um, so, you know, I remember Trevor as well, you know, what a wonderful finisher he was. Yeah. And uh, you know he would stay out as well and practice, you know, and and it wasn't an it wasn't an issue, it wasn't even an effort, you know, it was just something that these better players, in my opinion, you know, have all really loved football much more than they love being a footballer, yeah. and uh, they couldn't help themselves but do a little bit extra, you know, for whatever reason, whether they thought they needed to do a little bit more or they wanted they didn't get enough out of the session, but. Um, you know, again, that was grooved into us quite early, and it would only be stuff that I'm doing sort of 10, 15 years later with younger players as I'm finishing. You know, so um, you know, there's really, really good habits, and uh, they had one thing in common: they they all really like playing football. Yeah, I said that about Frank because I've interviewed Frank a, a number of times and been in his company mm. a number of times, and I asked mm. him whether um, great players of the past would be able to be great players today. And he said, of course, they would, son. Kick the stall back, started singing It's Now or Never, and then talked me through his goal <laughs> against Ipswich. And he said to Terry Butcher, if you turn around there, son, and you were standing up there with all your fans, you'd have had a better look at that goal. And he said to me, and he said, son, if you ever see Ian Gillard, ask him about the goal I scored against QPR because it was better than that goal against Ipswich. <laughs> Well, I he's imagine just a his, uh, legend. I imagine his portfolio of goals could be fairly special, <laughs> but um, as we all know, he was a he was a fairly special boy, you know. And um, I think you know, I know that there's all tradition in those days and England managers and so on and so forth. But yeah. I do I do remember um, not knowing Frank then, um, the likes of Frank, Tony Curry, Stan Bowles, Alan Hudson. You know, they sort of weren't the best conformists. Mm. And uh, I think they, at the time, West Germany were, um, you know, one of the best teams in the world. And yeah. Gunter Netzer was certainly one of the best midfield players in the world. Absolutely. And uh, I think England won 4 or 5 1. And Hudson apparently was just off the planet, yeah, along too. with these other two or three. But later I found out, you know, that they didn't conform, i.e., you know, didn't wear the, didn't wear the proper dress code, uh, this, that and the other. And um, not, you know, none of them really got a, a real good crack at it. But uh, on that night, I think they all showed what they could do. And, um, you know, if West Germany weren't, you know, the world's best, they were up there in the top two or three. And England gave them a salt in. And um, Hudson apparently wrecked Gunter Netzer. Um, and I'm sure he did, you know, because, uh, you know, that's the sort of kid he was. Uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful player and tough and strong. Um, and Frank also was the size of a house. You know, he was he just kept going up. And 
so he could sing he could sing Elvis songs for as long as he wanted as far as I was concerned and uh, and he loved it and so yeah these players that I actually played with were terrific and players I watched you know the Stambowls Rodney Marsh Tony Curry you know I sometimes feel that these players when I was a younger player I honestly believe these type players kind of actually felt they were honour bound or duty bound to impress not just their own fans but the opposing fans as well and uh, more often than not they probably did that you know and uh, so that's sort of the responsibility they took on themselves that they wanted to make sure that people would remember them um, from from both from both sets of supporters and uh, which I think was uh, was really really great Absolutely, and that was um, 1975. It was the 15th of March when Noddy made his England debut. We beat uh, in, uh, England beat West Germany, the current world champions, at uh, 2-0. Borley okay. and Udi played central midfield. And Al says wow. to me, the, the only reason that Revy picked them both is he picked them to fail, but they were so fantastic. Udi and Borley run the show. Udi said before the game to Gillard and Whitworth were the um, were the fullbacks and they were a bit nervous. So he says every time you get the ball, just give it either to Alan or give it to me and, and we'll use it. And they were fantastic. How much sure the England man the Germany manager after the game said to the German press, it's about time England found a world class player and in Alan Hudson they have done. Sadly only played one more game again because Revy didn't like him. He didn't like Stan, Frank, uh, TC. Um, Rodney Marsh and famously had the training session where he told probably six or seven of the greatest players ever to play the game in this country that they weren't in his plans. I find it incredible. Well, you know, it's kind of, it's um, it's interesting over the years. I mean, mm. listen, I have to say, I, I have a fond spot for Don, Don Revy as well because yeah. he was the sort of current England manager when we were all coming through the youth and under 21 system. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was as good as gold, you know. Uh, but I think sometimes change can be too quick, yeah. and you can sometimes, you know, not be ready for it. And mm-hmm. I think probably that was the situation where, you know, you've got these—they look probably more like rock stars and football yeah. players. But the one thing that sometimes you can forget, okay, they might not do one or two of the right things on and off the pitch, but you know, you actually got to watch what they do well. Yeah. And uh, they could all do. They could all do a lot well. Um, and I learned in my career, just as a player and a coach, that sometimes you have to watch what people do well, as opposed to what they might not do so well, and, and work around that. Um, and they were certainly players that, uh, you know, were worth spending a bit of time on. Goodness gracious, they were absolutely fantastic and played for thousands of years, and uh, and didn't disappoint very often. Um, you might say the same about, I don't know, um, Hovel, I suppose. Yeah. I'm not sure he found a complete place for himself or Letitia and people like this. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So it goes on through the eras. Yeah. But um, I think as as time has gone by, you, you kind of have to widen your net, really, of, you know, what sort of players can succeed for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not always the ones that, um, you know, that everybody picked. Um that are just kind of um, straight, not straight up and down, as would be a, a wrong terminology, but uh, players just, that they can yeah, trust. But just, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and just sometimes you take a risk yeah. on someone that might be a little bit different, but can um, can conjure up stuff that yeah. uh, 
you know the normal player might not do so i think it was a good learning point for all of us you know and uh no but they certainly very very rarely disappointed i remember i was sweeping the dressing room at ipswich when i was a youngster and um we were playing i think it was sheffield united and tony curry came in and asked me where the pitch was and so i said, I said well do you want me to take you he said yeah drop that broom and you know his air, his shirt was done undone down to his navel yeah. had an air dryer in his hand and I'm thinking Christ <laughs> I said this geezer for real or what you know and so I took him out he says you can come out with me come out with me and show me the pitch so I've walked out with him he's got this air dryer and then the fans obviously the Ipswich fans were giving him pelters you know yeah. and uh, he's just looked at them all and he's put his hand up he put his arms up above his head with this air dryer in one of them and like I thought, Christ, it's Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> and in fairness, all these fans were starting to clap him, like even the Ipswich ones. And he came out, and I think Ipswich won, but he was probably he was probably the best player on the pitch on the day. He was absolutely fantastic, you know. And uh, that's the first time I crossed his path, and I saw him a few times after that. And uh, yeah, he was. I I really thought he was a good player as well, you know. That perhaps could have um, done a little bit more for England, but you know. As I say, all these players are wonderful, and I was fortunate enough to play, you know, with the likes of Mick Shannon, Hudson, and um, yeah, they were they were tough. They were tough on the youngsters um, because that's the way it was in those days. But it's the way they've been brought up, and I think we are all the better for it, you know. And uh, you know, how are you going to argue with these ones that have been legends of the game? So uh, they still commanded a lot of respect, and quite rightly so. And when I look back now, I enjoy the players that I played with, especially those ones that were really super, um, you know, and uh, nothing but uh, very, very fond memories, of course. That's all we've got now, of course. Absolutely. And in Tony Curry, I would have had my England trio midfield of Hudson Curry and, and Alan Ball. You worked under um, Sir Alf Ramsey. Did you ever hear him swear? I did once. Oh. I did once, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've got to be careful, I suppose. I don't know how radio, how this works, but um, a podcast, as you say. Um, so uh, the only time I really heard, well, the only time I heard him swear was uh, when we were at Liverpool, funnily enough, you know, and I, th- I think we might have been three one up. And I think we actually then started to pontificate a little bit and thought we were Liverpool and uh, started passing it rather than smashing it forward and turning them around. Um and all of a sudden they scored. Uh, they'd scored. I think it was three one, so I made it three two. And uh, all of a sudden they looked like they had about fifteen players on the pitch. And you know we hung on basically um, to to win three two. I think yeah. it was anyway. Yes, and did, yeah. uh, we we came off the pitch and we were all a bit shell shocked, you know, thinking that for seventy or eighty minutes of the game, you know, we'd done really really well, and then we got bashed up terribly. Um, and I remember, <laughs> it's always worse in the you know in the dugout in the, you know and and Alf, for F's sake, Pat, he said, he's nearly put me in the grave, <laughs> and uh, I think that's about as close as he got you know. And but he was absolutely thrilled, of course, because yeah. uh, you know it was uh, you didn't not too many people got results there, sort of against those teams, and um, and we'd, we'd won, so uh, he was thrilled. But that was the only time I'd heard him swear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good good fellow he was as well. So uh, yeah, it was all good stuff. And it seems it seems a minute ago, but uh, you know it's forty years ago, which 
it's quite scary, really. It is, and and uh, I think Sir Alf has echoed words that every Birmingham City supporter has said for generations. Say, you nearly put me in the grave. But the, <laughs> I was reading Frank's book. Well, that, that was basically it, really. Yeah. Yeah. One on poor two, and. Um, Sir Alfie, he went to elocution lessons. He was very, very well-spoken, wasn't he? And when Frank turned up at um, at the airport to, to fly off to some, some tour, um, I can't remember where it was. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who it was against. But it was more what Frank Worthington was wearing. Sir Alf was, was talking to these England people and the press that was there, turned <laughs> round and uttered those words. What the f***ing hell's that? Frank had got green trousers. I think he got a Stetson. he got the cowboy gear and uh, I don't think anybody had ever seen any England player ever turn up in that regalia for an England tour before no. and probably oh, Frank, since. I mean uh, I think everyone that well people that know him people that don't know him <laughs> you know knew that uh, he liked his gear I mean listen he could make a bin liner look fairly stylish let Absolutely. me tell you um, but he did like his he did like his gear and uh, it was just part of his part of his setup, you know and um you know, he was he was a, a terrific player, and I was all the better for for knowing him. You know, and really, really liked him, miss him terribly. Unluckiest ground, Keith? Have you got an unlucky ground that um, that you played at? Unlucky ground, unlucky ground. Um, Manchester City, probably. Okay. Yeah, probably. I think the two clubs I missed out missed out scoring against. You know, of of, of that era mm-hmm. was probably the, the two Manchester clubs. Yeah. Um, and I think um, you know Manchester Manchester City. I remember one, well, twice. Uh, who I, I remember the goalkeeper they had at the time became a really really good friend of mine, um, Joe Corrigan. But yeah, I kept getting through. I kept getting through against him and couldn't score. And um, so yeah, I didn't have much joy at Main Road. Um, and Manchester United, um, I didn't score against them. I remember once at Birmingham. You know, I hit a crossbar, and that was about as close as I got. Yeah. So, as far as not scoring against anybody, um, they were the sort of two things I remember. But at Main Road, um, I had a few chances, you know, one on one with the keeper, and he comes out and he looks like a bloody hulk to me, you know. <laughs> so he completely covered the goal, um, which he continued. To, he came on loan when I was at Stoke, and uh, we spent a lot of time together, and. Uh, he continually reminded me that you know, I couldn't beat him, you know, so uh, I had to stand that because he was absolutely right, you know. But probably Main Road um, was, a, was a ground that, uh, not that I didn't enjoy it, but didn't have much joy there, you know, but everywhere else, done okay, really, as, as far as I can remember. So, uh, yeah. SRB Media. If you could replay one game from the 70s, what game would it be and why? Or with me in it, or just any game. Game with you in it. Game with me in it. I probably have to. I probably have to say the Arsenal game. Really, you know, for all the obvious reasons. Um, you know, all my family grew up there. Um, I kept going back there. Kept going okay from me for me, and uh, I think uh, not because it was an unbelievably fantastic game, but I think it was one one. It finished. Yeah. But obviously, for my own contribution and the the combination I have with Trevor at the time. Um, I was just probably saddened that for 
obvious reasons. We didn't get more than one season to play together. But yeah. the Arsenal game, you know, with that goal, I suppose, um, it makes a difference, doesn't it? You know, yes. um, and people like yourself will mention it. Um, so I suppose that stands out for me um, in a particularly good season. Um, you know, you score a goal that wins goal of the season um, at a ground that, you know, you're a stone's throw from and all your, all your family are, gro- you know, grown up around the ground. Um, I imagine that's probably something that must be special to anybody, let alone me. Um, so, yeah, it was good. That was, that was really um, uh, a game that, I'll probably never forget for the obvious reasons that I've just mentioned. Absolutely. And let's go with the other one then. A game that you could replay that you didn't play in from the 70s. What iconic game would that be? Um, game from the 70s that I couldn't play in. What game from the 70s would you like to see rerun this this Saturday night, for instance? Um, well, selfishly, I suppose. Selfishly, I suppose. Looting Away was quite a good game in our, yeah. in our sort of promotional um, challenge, but um, I would have thought there was a number of games as well. You know, um, the first season playing with Trevor and, and playing with all the other boys as well. It sounds like only Trevor was playing, which isn't quite true. Yeah. Um, but you know, that first year at Birmingham, you know, I could pick any number of games that really enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, we nearly went one down against Wigan. I remember in the cup, um, and we turned it around. But that was good fun in the end, you know, and. Oh, yeah. uh, Trevor, you know, Trevor was Trevor. Um, and then sometimes, I remember a game at, at Middlesbrough where I think we won away from home. Yeah. And he scored one goal. He might have scored two, but you know, he picked the ball up. He picked the ball up from one from his 18-yard box and then up, up in theirs. And um, I thought, well, I hope, I hope a few people see this game, yeah. you know, for what he's done. Um, so sometimes even games that I remember, for, for different reasons other than, Myself, you know, um, but uh, no, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to play with some fabulous players. Uh, he's one that, um, although I never played in the same team as him at club, you know, we did play, we did play in uh, the England youth, the England youth team. I think it was under 18 or something like that. We played a couple of tournaments. I don't think we got beat. But Brian Robson, yeah. I loved him. You know, yeah. I mean, it didn't surprise me at all that he went on to do what he did. He was just. He was just a great, great lad, could play anywhere, just wanted to play. And, um, you know, from start to finish, he was just like, it was just like a, a blur watching him play. You know, he covered the ground, you know, he sought people out, he, you know, he could he could pass it, he could do anything, you know, he, he, as, he, as he was then. You know, he was Captain Marvel. So that was a great experience playing with him and becoming friendly with him. And um, we're still friendly now. And the player that Ron Atkinson says is the greatest player that he's had ever in his team, Brian Robson, Pop Robson. Is that right? Yeah, great player. Well, well, you know, um, he was really, really something. And um, again, he's another one that uh, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, given the career that he's had. Mm. You know, when we when we bump into each other, we just tend to talk about, you know, our little trips away um, with our, our little England team, you know, so... Uh, yeah, it meant a lot to him as well, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we spend a lot of time when we do see each other talking about rubbish, really, you know. But it's, it's always good fun. If you could have a one-to-one with anyone dead or alive, who would it be, Keith? Um, oh, off the top of my head, yeah. I think it would. I think it would be Bobby Robson because right. um, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't bring myself to go to his funeral, um, but um, 
I did write to him uh, not that long ago before um, he died, um, just to really, I suppose, I heard he was poorly, and um, I wrote him a letter just thanking him for my life, basically, you know, which, you know, he played a big part in changing. And um, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, November time. Um, and I didn't hear anything probably until January. And then, you know, a letter came through from him. Um, and uh, he, I, I put some stuff in there and he just sort of said, of course, I remember you, son. And I'm glad you've done so well with your football. And I'm glad you've also bumped into Steve and you're doing a bit of coaching as I was at that time. Yeah. Um, and I, I just said, you know, you know, thanks for giving me a chance and believing in me. And um, I believe you, you know, you're not as well at the moment as you'd like to be. And he just said back, you know, he said, um, no, I've, I've had a few problems, but, you know, he said, we're fighters, aren't we? And um, and unfortunately, it was just one fight he couldn't uh, he couldn't win, you know. And um, there was a lot of things I probably wanted to say to him that, uh, you know, I was pleased in a way that he'd received my letter because he knew exactly how I felt. But, um, yeah, he was, uh, he'd give me my first start and... Um, had a lot of time for him, really, yeah. Favourite TV shows from the 70s era? We had some iconic, well, well iconic cartoons and iconic cop shows as well. And Tiz, oh, Tiz was, God, again, yeah. was great in those days with Tarrant. And you went fishing with Chris, didn't you? And he caught a fish, yeah? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, he, he done me a favour. I, I was doing some sort of documentary and uh, one, one of the pastimes was like, um, what do you do on your day off? And... We liked a bit of fishing, you know, me and Tony want, you know, and uh, we've gone to this river where Tarrant had already left me a fish, you know, and so just in case we weren't going to catch, which probably we weren't, you know, before too long, we put this fish on and like me rod is bent double and I had to sort of say on TV, oh, I think I've got a bite, you know, me, <laughs> me rod's nearly snapping, but he'd caught, he'd caught me a fish and uh, he was a really, he probably still is, but he was a really good angler, a good lad as well. And um, so, yeah, it was just part of the show. And uh, so, yeah, we all kind of mixed in quite well, you know, um, with Jasper as well. Um, he was getting involved with, the, he was involved with the football club and, uh, you know, on the board and everything else. And they all sort of knew one another. It was, it was a great time, Birmingham, yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he'd, he'd done me the odd favour and uh, no, all the better for it. You know, it was, uh, it was great times and, you know, you wonder you wonder where they all went, really. It seems like in a flash. But, uh, no, it was over those three or four years. Um, I had, had the best time I could probably have really in Birmingham. And another big player in Birmingham in those days was the music scene, Jeff Lynn and ELO. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of um, got introduced to, to Jeff through, through Trevor. You know, yeah. he was a good pal and still is a good pal of these. And um, I remember uh, one summer when I had a bit of time off and he invited me to, you know, come to his house whenever I wanted. He was he was recording or, or doing stuff down in his basement. And he had a lake as well, so I used to fish in that and then go and listen to him record. And um, now it all seems ridiculous, really. But at the time, you know, we'd play a bit of tennis and have a little bit of head tennis um, and just do stuff like this for a week. You know, it was, it was, it was like my week with Marilyn, that film, you know. But yeah. um, I remember it... Uh, you know, I'll remember it forever. Just couldn't believe, you know, 
what a sound he could produce. And um, as I say, Trevor introduced me to him, and you know, I felt head over heels with his music. And um, and you know, up until quite recently, you know, I saw him play at the NEC not so long ago, and uh, no, really, really, really great lad, and um, you know, just a genius, really, without even trying. Yeah, I think there are a number of, and I think the word genius is used too too frequently. But I think when you put that in the same sentence with Jeff Lynn, it, it sits mm-hmm. nicely. And I think Jeff Lynn was one of the great uh, musicians of this area and the world. Any song or songs that remind you of your playing days, whether it be at Ipswich or Birmingham or or generally of the seventies when you were out discovering yourself? Well, Mister, I mean. At Birmingham, it's you know obviously um, you have varied taste in music, but um, I did get engulfed with um, ELO um, and Mr Blue Sky. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a great song even now down there. You know, I still yeah. I still play it. But you know, all those albums out the blue, um, things like this. You know, um, there was two or three of the albums that you know I would continually play. Um, I just, I just really, really enjoyed it. I think Ipswich was quite different, really, and you know, from the part of London I came from, it was mainly Tamil Motown, which yeah. was all the rage. Until I met a pal of mine who used to pick me up from London, and when we'd had a weekend back in London, and go back to Ipswich, he then like on them big eight tracks, you know, uh, in those days, the, the bloody cassette player was nearly as big as a car. <laughs> um, but you know, he introduced me to other stuff. You know, because he he enjoyed other stuff like uh, I don't know James Taylor and yeah. Cat Stevens, Carly Simon, Carol King, which give me another different flavour to to music, and um, it just extends your sort of um, you know the music that's out there, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can always tie in that sort of music to the clubs, but uh, certainly with Birmingham, um, I did have obviously that that brief encounter where I. I listen to a lot of Who stuff, um, but to be fair, Jeff, uh, Jeff's music for me. Um, ever since, I mean, I went to, I went one of the greatest things. I went, he got me a couple of tickets. Um, I took a friend of mine, um, and we went to see him at Wembley yeah. uh, when they had the big spaceship come out from underneath the the, the, sta- the stand, you know, or, or the, the the floor, um, you know, and that was probably one of the greatest greatest nights of my life you know and uh, you know we went and met them afterwards and had something to eat with them so yeah it was heady days and um, it all seems a natural then but um, the music thing was very close to footballers you know you had a lot of time to um, kill from time to time and um, you know they were just they were just bringing out those little packs that you could put on your side and put the put the music on um, and uh, you know more often than not it will be Jeff Lynn for me and the hello, yeah. And finally, Keith, sum up the 70s in the centre. Oh, it was, uh, well, for me, um, yes, yes. I'm sure it was pressurised from time to time and you f- tend to forget all that. I'm sure it was uncomfortable from time to time and you forget all that. It was just, um, not just with the players, but people outside the game who I've become friendly with, you know. It was just the greatest time from starting off at Ipswich and um, moving through to Birmingham from sort of, I don't know, 73 to 81, you know, I just had the time of my life really just in, not in every way possible, but um, learning the game and enjoying the football and meeting so many terrific players, 
and uh and more importantly learning from them all you know which was uh I was privileged to do meet these players and and uh and and play with them um and as I say learn from them you know because there was a lot of good players as there is today and um I think it was most important to you know not let it pass you by without taking everything you can that's good from all these players to try and help yourself Absolutely. Keith, are you on social media or you have a website or can people connect with you? And, and have you got a book out? And if you haven't, why not? And are you going to put one out? Because you've got some great <laughs> stories, mate. <laughs> well, I'm not a, I'm not a social, social media person, really. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I don't do the Facebook or, or anything like that. I, I get continually ridiculed by my family. But... Um, you know, um, I just, I'll add the memories and, and maybe I'm being selfish by just keeping them to me, you know, uh, in our era, you know, that's how we did it. And, um, you know, apart from the people that uh, were there, you know, you don't sort of tend to talk about it too much. And uh, it was just, sometimes you have to pinch yourself to say, did that really happen? But more often than not, it did. It certainly did, sir, and you haven't just kept it to yourself on this podcast because we're going to send it out to the world and people can listen to the wonderful times that Keith Birchin had. And it is Thursday, so it is a, a clap and a thank you Thursday. So on behalf of every football fan that watched you play, Keith, can I just say thank you very much, sir, and thank you very much for your time on this podcast. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Paul, thank you for having me on the show and uh, I really enjoyed going down memory lane. It's, uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting enough to say that. Thanks, This has been an SRB Media production. Your host was the Gabby Cabby. Produced and edited by Chris Brown. All inquiries, please email contact at srbmedia.co.uk. SRB Media. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.